0: We want to always match our attitudes and our worship style to the appropriate atmosphere. Okay? So, for example, uh, we're very atmospheric beings. Let's say that I um, was back in Israel. I got sick, right? And so I'm completely thrashed. I had to go to the doctor over there. The doctor was from Massachusetts. That was weird. But when I'm over there and I'm completely sick and I'm laid up in my hotel room for three days while everybody else is having fun and having a life-changing experience, I'm just laying around going, oh, right, that was me. Now, if you walked into my room on that time and had music going and you were going, hey, Lance, how you doing? Okay, I hate you. Do you understand? Because that is, that is a complete affront to me. I'm going, wait, what are you doing? I'm completely tore up. I don't want you doing that to me. Calm down. Quiet down, right? However, is let's say it's my child's birthday party, and you come in all mellow and calm and serious and negative. Whoa, 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 whoa! Wait, we we're having a party here. What are you doing? So, at all times, we want our worship to match what theme we are going through. So for example, you'll notice that the Psalms are full of different kinds of life. You have David being contemplative because his life at that moment was extremely difficult. There were times when he was wrestling with his sin. There were times when he was having a horrible day and right there he had to cry out to God and all the volume dropped. But when he brought back the Ark of the Covenant, when he came dancing before God when the noise was crazy off the charts and he's spinning and yelling and they're shouting when you read revelation about in heaven and there's this huge voice like the multitudes when everything's crazy that's a party atmosphere we want our worship to match our atmosphere now is that really what We're doing specifically today. We're actually talking about the risen Christ. When we talk about Jesus Christ coming back from the dead, when we talk about the resurrection being so extraordinary, there's a few things we need to know. So let's shift gears just for a minute. I need you to listen to the gospel right now. I'm going to read to you. The bottom line of Christianity and the gospel. And I need you to ask yourself this question. While we're throwing this party, does the party apply to you? Are you joyful in your heart? Are you victorious in your heart? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you ever engaged with this message? So let me just read it to you and you can tell me what you think. 2,000 years ago, God entered our world to save us in the person of jesus christ he lived a sinless life and because he claimed to be god was put to death on a cross that he willingly bore on that cross he paid for the sins of the world and made an offer to all that would receive him to those who would believe in his name that he would cover their sins and take the punishment of what they have done wrong Upon himself, so they would live forever as a child of God, forgiven and clean. He died and was buried and remained in the tomb for parts of three days that we know as Good Friday, Yesterday, and Resurrection Sunday. On that third day, as evidence that he is God and that he is an effective Savior, that he is the rightful king, he raised from the dead and showed up to those who loved him and lifted himself back up to heaven to sit at the right hand of God victorious. Do you believe this? Now, some of you go, what happened next? Okay, that's in John chapter 20. All right. You might want to read that at some point and kind of go, wow, I can't believe he did this and he did this. But there's some of you that you hear that message and you think you know what sounds like a good story I can't get past the fact that people just don't come back from the dead I have no problem believing that jesus was a good guy and you know what maybe his followers glorified him and they rewrote scripture afterwards I don't know But I don't know if that's real Here's something intriguing about god's timing we have an apologetic conference This month on April 29th and 30th just around the corner and out of all the possible topics they're going to talk about why is there suffering all these heavy things that you want to sort out in your life and maybe you're an intellectual that really needs to get past some of this. One of the topics is we have an incredibly brilliant man coming in and his whole talk is on evidence of the resurrection. Maybe that's something you need. Maybe it's where you need someone to systematically go through and show you how we know, why we believe. Because I'll tell you this, I am so convinced this is true that I have put my eternity at stake and the eternity of my family at stake that this is real. That's how much I believe this. But is it true for you? If so... I want to share a couple things just to talk a little bit about it. I don't know if we do have, do we have the photos out there? Let's go ahead and throw up the first photo if we have this. Now, as I told you, when I went over to Israel, I took a bunch of pictures and I wanted to bring some of these back to you. And I kind of want to talk a little bit about the resurrection in a roundabout way. So this is uh, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. I don't know if you've ever heard of that before, but Jerusalem, the ancient city or the old city of Jerusalem, is broken into four quarters. There's the Armenian quarter, the Muslim quarter, the Jewish quarter, and the Christian quarter. In the Christian quarter, it's not called that because there's a lot of Christians. It's called that because a lot of Christian events happened there. This Church of the Holy Sepulchre is one of those very significant events. This church is so enormous so grand that what you're looking at is the little church inside the church this is only one room right so you got a big old church that's much larger than this building in that big church that church actually covers the spot that some archaeologists believe is the place where not only Jesus was buried but where Jesus was crucified it covers what they believe is Golgotha the place where the cross was then 30 to 50 yards away from that where he was buried. And then another 15 yards from that is the place where they believe that Nicodemus was buried and Joseph of Arimathea who wanted to be buried near the Christ. Now this little chapel, right? It's little within relative. This chapel right here is where they believe used to be The tomb now all that is removed and and pulled out so they could put a church there Now it's probably not what you were hoping for. It's probably not the way you would hope it looks But there's a couple intriguing things about that if you wanted to go see where jesus's body was buried Well, you'd get in line on the right hand side There's a little line and there's a little tapes where you wait and everything And you wait to go see where jesus's body was buried if you walked in there You would see a carved out area of a tomb And then it would run right into the wall. You go, okay, so he was laid right up against the wall. No, the wall of the church. You go, okay, what's that have to do with it? Well, if you want to see where his head was, you go to the other side and wait in line on the other side. Why? Well, because no church can have all of Jesus' body, so they decided to cut it in half. They decided to have the Catholic church have it on the right-hand side, that was the body, and the Ethiopian church has the head. So you have to wait in two separate lines to be able to see where Jesus' body was. That's probably not what Jesus had in mind, but all right. So let me show you a couple other photos about this place. Let's go to the next one. Now this, when you walk into the entrance doors, there's all these people kissing this rock. And you're looking and you're going, well, what's important about the rock? Well, that's actually a lid. It's a rock lid that they had to put over another rock. So it's a rock on a rock. Now, the reason why the rock's on the rock is because people kept chipping off little pieces and trying to take them home. So you got to protect it from the worshipers, right? So you cover it over and they're coming in, they're kissing it because it's believed that this slab of rock is where Christ's body was taken down, laid out and wrapped by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. So that became a holy place, of course. Let's go to the next side. Now this, and you'll notice that this photo is one that i took because it's completely out of focus um but there might be a bit of gold i don't know if you can see it from where you're at okay yeah the whole wall all right now what you would do is wait in line of course you're now upstairs on what would have been golgotha the skull where jesus was crucified and what you would do is you're waiting in line to go where that lady in yellow is kneeled down underneath that altar In there, you reach your hand down into the hole, and that's where they would have slid the cross post down into the rock where Christ was crucified. Huh. Well, this is probably not at all the Easter picture that you wanted. So let's talk about the other archaeological location that debates this one. Maybe Jesus was buried here. Let's take a look at the next slide. Now, this is probably a bit more of what you thought, now, if you look at Hat Guy, do you see Hat Guy at the bottom? His bill is pointing up to an eye, two eyes and a nose. Do you see that? By shadow. This is the other traditional site of Golgotha, the skull, where criminals were crucified up at the top. Now, is that where Christ was crucified? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. It depends on who you talk to, which one argues which. Let's go to the next slide. But in general, they would have these caves that were cut out of rock And one of those caves would have been the one that Joseph of Arimathea's family had purchased, that he as a wealthy man would have had ready, and it was very near the site, so they would have put Christ in there. Where would they have laid him? Let's look at the next slide. Well, in something that's as crude as this. It's a tomb where when you walk in, there is a room for a separate family to be laid, and they would lay the bodies down. Remember, they do not use coffins per se. Uh, in the jewish world they wrap bodies and they place them in here and they would have placed it right on that slab that's where christ was allegedly laid now let me say you know what out of all those those probably still don't look like the the books that you colored as a child right where you would have the rolling rocks so let me show you the last tomb slide here let's go to the next one now does that look more like it now that one is the only tomb over in Israel that still has a rolling rock. Obviously, you can see that there's there's a metal piece around it that they put a band in later. But what they would do is put the body in and then roll the rock over slightly downhill. So it was harder to unseat and roll back up. But they need it removed if you were putting a whole family in there. You don't completely seal it because you have more people to get in there, right? So they would roll the stone in front. So whose tomb is this? Nobody famous. It was actually on the side of the road. Our bus stopped in the middle of the road, stopped traffic, and we all took pictures outside the window. This is not anything famous. It's just sitting there on the other side of a guardrail. All right? So this probably looks better. Now, here's the bottom line point to what I'm trying to say. No matter whether or not you go to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, or whether or not you go to the Garden Tomb, or whether or not you find a tomb like this, no matter what you excavate, no matter where you search, the bottom line is always the same, and it's the next slide. He's not here. Okay, now this is, on the Garden Tomb, they put a wooden door and this big sign that just goes, hey, by the way, he's not here. All right, he is risen and we have to answer the question of where is the body of jesus because it's nowhere to be found the disciples you go well maybe they hid it they would never have died as martyrs and all of his friends died as martyrs except one john they would never have gone through that pain and agony for something they knew to be false because they forged it it ruins your whole point when you die. You no longer get any benefit from it. They would have gave up the story. He's not here. He's risen. What are we going to do with that? It's this, remember the women went to the tomb and that's where this statement came from. They're looking in and the angels came and said, hey, what are you looking for? They're like, we're looking for Jesus. Why would you look for the living among the dead? He's not here anymore. He's gone. He rose. He's out there. Why are you going in here? And the same question was asked of the disciples as Jesus rose up in front of them and ascended on the Mount of Olives. Let's take a look at the Mount of Olives. Now, this is a panoramic view out of focus that I took that if you look up at the top, there's a tower up there, right? This is the Mount of Olives. Now you'll notice that um, in front of that looks like some stairs or some steps that's all concrete. See that big concrete section in front? That's a big cemetery. There's huge amounts of burial boxes all over the place. It's overcrowded, as a matter of fact. And you go, why is everybody buried there? Well, because Old Testament scripture speaks of the Messiah, upon his return, will land on the Mount of Olives, split it in half, and march in victory into Jerusalem, which is just on the other side of the valley. If you walk from there to the left, you can walk right to Old City Jerusalem and go through what used to be known as the Golden Gate or East Gate. Two interesting things about that. One is this is a place where Jesus, after he raised from the dead, took the disciples up on this mountain and rose up into the sky and ascended right in front of them. And they just sat there staring. Finally, some angels had to go, what are we looking at? They're like, well, Jesus went up there. They're like, well, he's gone now. So quit looking up in the sky because he has ascended to the right hand of the Father. Now, go do something, okay? He is already risen. The other interesting thing about that is being in this land where you get a chance to see where Jesus Christ will return and march through victorious intriguing fact about the golden gate or the eastern gate i went and saw it up on the temple mount which is now muslim occupied and controlled they all know the prophecies everybody knows in the ancient world that the messiah is supposed to walk through that gate so what did they do they blocked the gate they sealed it up and walled it off they put bricks and mortar and shut the gate because that's going to keep jesus out Of course not. Of course not. As he comes walking through and it explodes out in front of him. I mean, we know how the story ends. Jesus is alive. And because Jesus is alive, he took the disciples from, do you remember after he died, they went back to work? They went back to fishermen and all the stuff that they used to do. Why? Because they thought, you know what? That was an amazing time in my life, but it was just a phase. It's not just a phase Jesus came back to them resurrected and they went from fishermen again To being all in for the rest of their lives Because the resurrection changed everything And Jesus said as I ascend up, it's better that I go so I can send the Holy Spirit to you He'll come upon you in power and there in the upper room in the book of Acts They're praying passionately, but still afraid Pentecost hits, the Holy Spirit hits, God goes global, God goes internal, and they step out in boldness and in confidence and begin to preach the risen Lord. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is simply this, something that we must understand both as Christians and of those still seeking. The resurrection makes all the difference. Would you turn with me in your Bibles? If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand and we will bring a Bible to you. We have them all sitting here. We'll let you borrow one for today. Makes it a little easier. Just keep your hand up. They'll slide one over to you. I would like you to turn with me to the book of Romans. All right. Romans chapter one, verse one. It's in the New Testament. That's on the right hand side of the Bible. We have Matthew, Mark, Mark luke john acts romans that's where we need to stop so in romans chapter 1 verse 1 everybody know the story of paul paul one of the most famous most powerful missionaries and a man that was martyred for his faith was beheaded just outside of rome according to tradition paul wasn't always paul he was saul if you remember and saul was a christian killer So I don't know what you've done in your life and I don't know what you come here, what kind of baggage you come with, but I would probably guess not a lot of you are Christian killers. Now maybe some of you have been intimidators. Maybe some of you maybe have taken the life of a believer. However, he was a hardcore Christian killer by personal trade. He actually went out of his way to break up families, to throw people in jail. He held people's coats while they grabbed rocks and threw them at a young man named Stephen, the first martyr of Christianity. This murderous man was on his road to a city by the name of Damascus. When the risen Lord, the resurrected Jesus Christ, knocks him off his horse and says, what is your problem? Why? Are you fighting me? He said, Who are you? I'm not fighting you. I don't even know who you are. And he said, That's the problem. You don't know me. I'm the Son of God. I'm your Savior, and you're battling me. On that day, he went from Saul to Paul, from Christian killer to Christian extraordinaire, because the resurrection. Made all the difference he wrote this letter to the church in Rome to the Roman Saints to people just like us and he wrote these words Paul a servant of Christ Jesus Romans 1 1 called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son who as the human nature was a descendant of David. And who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God, called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the resurrection that said Jesus Christ is God. There are many people in the past that have been raised from the dead. We know the story of Lazarus. We know the young boy. We know the young girl. They were all raised, one by an Old Testament guy by the name of Elisha, some by Jesus. Many have come back from the dead, but then they die again. Jesus came back and lives forever that we might live forever. You say, well, what does that mean for me? It's said right here that if we are children of God, we get what he bought and what did he buy for us he bought grace some of us don't understand grace do you remember my definition of grace i made it up but it seemed to work out pretty well it was this it's called yeah i know but you remember That's the definition of grace. It means you say, but Lord, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve you. And there's no way that I am good enough to be able to go to heaven. And what does Jesus say? Yeah, I know. But. I saved you. I paid for you. There's the but Lord, there's constant sin in my life. I feel like I'm a failure. It feels kind of cyclical and I keep messing up and I keep messing up and and I don't know how I'm ever going to be free. I don't know why you love me, God. I'm a mess. And what does grace say? Yeah, I know. But I do. And I've covered it. It said that it bought us grace. It bought us peace. Some of us so desperately need peace in our lives. Not just those who don't know Jesus. Some of us profess to be Christians. We have little to no peace. Little to no victory. Little to no grace in our lives. So, at the end of the message, here in a few moments, we're going to pray. And I'm going to pray along with you that some of us, this is the first time we felt God move on our hearts and say, Why are you fighting me? Do you want me to clean you up? Or do you still got it? You got it covered. Because as long as you have it covered, there's no salvation. But if you let Jesus in, there's cleansing, there's forgiveness, there's life. Let's skip to one other passage. Can you turn with me one book to the right in 1 Corinthians 15, 12? 1 Corinthians 15, 12. Just one book to the right. 1, 6, 1, 5? Is that what it was? What's that? 8, 1, 5? Is that what it is in the Bibles that were handed to us? Okay, fantastic. 1 Corinthians 15, 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And If Christ hasn't been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, We are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead aren't raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, well, they're lost. If only for this life... We have hope in Christ. We are to be pitied, be pitied more than all men. See, one of the things I love about Christianity is its straightforward approach. It's the, just tell me how it is, the factual matter of it, the practical nature of it, where it just says, listen, this is how it is. If it wasn't like that, I'd tell you. I love when people talk to me like that. And Paul does right here. Here's what he said. If Jesus isn't raised from the dead, there is no eternal life period. There's only eternal death. One of my favorite phrases on this subject that I ever heard was a pastor was talking about this and he said, so many people say to me, why has it got to be so narrow minded? Why is it only got to be the Christian way? Oh, you only have to go through Jesus. There's no other doors that lead to heaven. I don't believe that. It could be lots of doors, blah, 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 blah. He said, simply put only one savior ever showed up. That's not narrow minded, narrow minded. That's encouraging right? It's not narrow-minded. If I walk in and your house is burning and you've fallen down and you can't get up and I'm there to reach out and help you and you go, well, that's awfully narrow-minded. Why do you have to help me up? Why can't it be somebody else? At some point, I'm just going to go, do you want me to help you or not? There's nobody else here. I mean, yeah, if there was a whole bunch of firefighters here, you could pick and choose between firefighters. However, I'm the only guy that showed up. So it's not narrow minded. It's saying, maybe you want to say thank you. Maybe you want to reach out and grab his hand because he's the only one that can save you. If Jesus isn't raised from the dead, then our Christian lives are a sham, and I'm certainly in the wrong business. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, then the Muslims are right, and so are the Jews. And they believe that Jesus may have been a really nice guy and that his followers made him to be something he never claimed to be. Are they right? If Jesus isn't raised from the dead, there's no covering for sin anywhere. And we're in trouble. Look at the next phrase in your Bible, verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep for since death came through a man. The resurrection of the dead also comes through a man for as in Adam all die. So in Christ, all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. The first fruits then when he comes, then those who belong to him. If Jesus is alive, then so can we be. That is what we are celebrating on Easter. It's not about anything else other than the life that Jesus brings. That's what it's all about. That's why we get so excited. But some of us still don't feel excited about it. Last thing that we'll read as we close out. Turn with me to Psalm 29. Go into the, uh, drop your Bible open in the middle. You'll probably hit Job. All right. Back up to the left and you'll hit Psalms. It's a really big book. So find Chapter 29, a short psalm, and I want to share with you a little bit in the book of Psalms as we finish out, because I want to tell you about the voice of God. I want to tell you about what God wants to speak into your life, both Christian and seeker. Ascribe to the Lord, O mighty ones, ascribe to the Lord, glory and strength, ascribe to the Lord, the glory do his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. What does a scribe mean? It means give him credit for what's rightfully his. Tell someone. Christians, if you are here and you know this message, who are you telling about it? Because many of us make the mistake of saying, well, my faith is personal. It's between me and God. You are wrong. That is not biblical at all. The Bible says that you were saved and rescued, that you might be the salt and light of the world and share with other people your story. What's your story? I was lost and now I'm found. If that is true for you, then it can be true for someone else. Ascribe to the Lord. Tell people how great God is in whatever way is natural to you. Some of you do it quietly. Some of you do it loudly. Some of you do it in a public forum. Some of you do it only to the very few close friends that you have. Ascribe to the Lord how great he is. But listen to his voice that is speaking to your heart right now. Verse 3. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon, the nation, skip like a calf. Sirion, which is the Phoenician name for Mount Hermon, like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare. What's it saying? When God speaks, things break. Some of us today, our spirits need to be broken. And God's going to speak into our lives. The Bible is very clear that you can either fall on the rock and be broken. Or try to handle it all the way to the end and let the rock fall on you. And then you'll be ground into dust and blown away. There is no escaping of this life without brokenness. So how many of us are willing to lay down our guns and stop fighting? How many of us in a burning house will lift up our hand and be rescued? Let's finish it out. And in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord is enthroned as king forever. Our Jesus is an eternal king. And if he is king and we are under his banner, we have victory. And the Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. There are some here today that that's not how you feel. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray. And I'm going to pray for two groups of us. The first group... Is those of you that for the first time in your lives, you know that Jesus is tapping you on the shoulder and telling you, I want to rescue you. Never before have you either heard it or never before have you ever believed it. But today, today, Jesus Christ is telling you that he wants to rescue you. That he wants to forgive you, that he wants to clear out all that baggage, all that garbage, all the I'm struggling, I got to do it, all the performance driven, it's got to be all me, all that garbage. Let's start afresh. What's that going to require? It requires that you finally say, I give up. It requires you to admit who you really are, an enemy of God. It requires that you fall down before him and say, Lord, it's all you. It's not me anymore. Let's bow our heads and pray. If that is you, and you want that type of freedom, I want you to raise your hand right where you're at. As a sign to God, raise your hand and keep it up while we pray. Keep your hand up i'm about to pray for you anybody else because we're going in let's pray heavenly father We come to you with our hand raised as a sign of surrender as saying jesus we want you to save us We are tired of living the way that we're living we are tired of trying to handle it ourselves And we need rescue we have made a mess of our lives we are wrong we are sinners and we are sorry We don't want to fight anymore. We don't want to have the animosity in our spirit. We don't want to constantly fall asleep at night as an enemy of God. We don't want to keep trying to push things into that vacuum that only you can fill. And we cry out to you today and ask that you would rescue us, that you would heal us, that you would make us whole, that you would wipe clean our slate and let us begin a brand new life for your word says... That you are the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus. And no one comes to the Father but by you. So we chase after you. We hold on to you with all that we have. If we could just touch your garment today. Heal us. Save us. You can put your hands down. For those Christians who are here today. That you know that Jesus Christ has saved you. And yet you live your life With no victory. Every day you come home from walking in the world. And you look in your room or your dark closet. And see the chains that Jesus broke off. You grab those chains and you put them back on your wrists. And you live in bondage. You know very well that because of your rebellion and your choices. Jesus' yoke is not easy. His burden is not light. And you don't feel free. If you need freedom and victory afresh today, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Keep it up as a sign to God. And I'll pray. Heavenly Father, we raise our hand telling you that Jesus, we do not have the freedom that you promised us because quite frankly, Lord, we have either strayed from the path or the Satan is beating us up or holding us down or we're being constantly tormented by the garbage that we allow. That Jesus, you said that you are the victor. You said that you clear all that out. And yet we still feel like we're living in the center of it. We are still continually grabbing things that are not right for us. We are still drinking from polluted pools when there is clean, fresh water, but a step away. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would sweep down and clean us out. That you would make us feel afresh. That this Easter, we would turn over a new way of living. And that we would run to you and be restored and our love for you would be rekindled. And that we would be alive again. Jesus, wash our feet. Though you have washed our bodies, we've been walking in the world. And we're pretty dirty. We ask that you would cleanse us and make us new. We hand our lives over to you In the precious and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.